listening to the PCAST. Each week we take you around Austin B, the Athletics Department, sometimes Clarksville, and occasionally the OVC to give you the full scope of what's unfolding around us. I'm Colby Wilson. He is Dylan Schwartz, and he's back. He's back after deciding to nearly die ahead of the biggest week of basketball season. I'm sure there's no correlation at all, and he's just happy to be here. And we're happy to have him back. Dylan, are you are you feeling better? Feeling better. Um, not sure that the master plan of missing the OVC tournament while getting the flu is, is, was, was the best idea, but, you know. Yeah, well, you know, best laid plans and so forth. Um, any anything to discuss before we get into recapping the week? Uh, the weather didn't suck for like twenty four hours. That was cool. And now it's going to suck again in about twenty four hours. Yep, yep, and that's uh, that's about it. Okay, so lots to get to from last week. So I guess we'll just jump right into the the OVC tournament and well. Good news, bad news for men's basketball, I guess. Uh, the Moorhead State game in the quarterfinals was a clinic, particularly in the first half. The Govs hit 50, 50% from the floor, 54% from three, and 91% at the line to take a 20-point lead. Uh, Chris Porter-Bunton was outstanding. Uh, scored 15 in the first half alone. His first bucket in the second half marked point number 1,000 of his Austin P career. He finished with a career-high 27 points to send the Govs on into the OVC quarter or semifinals rather against Belmont but once there it played out quite a bit like it did in the regular season when the Govs and Bruins met. Dylan Windler of Belmont put on a show and the Govs were left searching for answers after a loss and I don't know what it is about Windler that makes him so successful against the Govs but I know what he did last Friday 32 points 21 boards and eight three-pointers I know that's just one guy, one person's performance, but whew, that's a tough performance to have to overcome. Uh, three seniors in Porter Bunton, Steve Harris, and Zach Lauder were the only Govs in double digits against the Bruins. Porter Bunton averaged 22.5 points on 65% shooting from the floor in the tournament. He probably had an argument for an all-tournament slot, but, you know, whatever. I'm not inherently bitter. Uh this brings the season to an end in a frustrating fashion, maybe. I'm, you know, it's up in the air. It's March. Who knows? The NIT, CBI, CIT. I know that the five seniors played their hearts out the entire season. They got nothing to hang their heads about. 22 wins is a really, really good season. doesn't just happen. It takes a lot to pull that off. But now what? You always, you're always left with questions at the end of a season, particularly a season – where I think they really felt like they had what it took to go all the way. And in most years, especially in this conference, that's a that's a championship team. But you got a dynamic player in Ja Morant, and you got a, a team in Belmont that I firmly believe deserves an at-large berth into the NCAA tournament. And it just this was a very atypical season for the Ohio Valley Conference and the Govs. They've, they've got nothing to be ashamed of for what they did this season. For the women's team, their watch also came to an end in Evansville after a 68-57 loss to Tennessee Tech. Um, the Golden Eagles just slowly started to pull away uh, over the course of the four quarters. It just simply, you know, you look at the scoreboard, and it was about four points, and a couple minutes later it was eight, then maybe back down to six, but then it was up to ten. I mean, it is just um, – a death by a thousand lashes kind of thing, you know, like. That's a, wow, <laughs> that's a lot of lashes. Were you looking for death by a thousand paper cuts? Because a thousand lashes seems harmful. Well, I, whatever suits the 
the audience of the podcast, I guess. We'll let them decide. Yeah, if you guys love torture, <laughs> Dylan's clearly your favorite host. <laughs> <coughs> Unfortunately, the three ball kind of deserted the guts at the wrong time. Um, you know, They prided themselves on um, being a good three-point shooting team. They made the most three-pointers in school history in a season uh, this year, but they only went six for 22 in the game. Um, talked to Coach Midlick uh, this week about the game. He was very pleased with the defensive effort that the Gov showed um, against a, a really good shooting team and a team that was ranked in the top 20 for free throw percentage in the country. Um, they had you know, they had dynamic scores, and additionally the presence of Mackenzie Coleman, the 6'3 center for Tennessee Tech, really gave them some problems. Um, didn't really feature a lot in the first meeting uh, this season, but she came off the bench. I think she had about 18 and 8 or something like that and would routinely be a – uh, presence, especially defensively, you know, not letting the Govs drive in and get some some buckets. Um, Coach Midlick was really impressed with how, you know, that they, they moved the ball. Just he, he simply said the shots weren't weren't going in, and you know that sometimes is, is basketball. Unfortunately, um, the Govs made a, a a good stride uh, in in Coach Midlick's fourth season. They had their most uh, conference wins since 2011 with 10 and um, 10 and 8 in the conference and finished fifth, which is the highest under Coach Midlick. And you know, uh, unfortunately, against a good t- it was a good Tennessee Tech team. Um, they pushed Belmont as well, and, and set, they fell late against Belmont in the semifinal. And you know, they only allowed 68 points. They allowed 65 points in the the first regular season meeting. So it's not like you know. The defense, the defense let them down or anything like that. It was simply that, you know, the the shot kind of deserted them at the wrong time, and the Golden Eagles took advantage, um, especially in the second half where they again just simply just pulled away, and you know the Govs are left to to kind of rue that loss. Um, you know, especially you know Keisha Gregory, four years now, unfortunately come to a close. Um, been one of uh, Austin P basketball's brightest players the past decade or so, and you know um, I'm sure she'll have a a great career, especially when she gets into the coaching aspect after her playing career with the Govs. Over on the diamond for baseball, when Jock Pichu takes the hill, the Governors have a real chance. The junior tossed eight innings of two-hit shutout ball to open last week's series against Murray State, striking out seven for his season's second victory. Friend of the podcast, Brett Newberg slammed the door for the save, and David Martinez and Bobby Head drove in runs to get the Govs in the win column against the Racers. The other two games were a bit of a struggle. Could tell game two was going to be trouble right from the beginning when Murray State led off with a homer and things snowballed from there. And an 11-3 loss, one suspects the Racers were a little bit pissed because Jacques made them look clueless for eight innings to open the day for game one. Last week's guest, Brandon Vial, put together a quality start in the finale, scattering seven hits and three earned runs over six innings, but the offense could never quite get anything going, putting men in scoring position in the second, fourth, fifth, and sixth innings, but getting nothing for their troubles. And then I think everybody was a little bit wrong-footed by the bizarre Parker Phillips interference situation in the very first inning where Parker hit a shot to dead center. Looked like it was going to go out. Wind caught it or something, pushed it down, kept it in the park. Parker had kind of broken into the home run trot, and as part of that, he'd high-fived uh, Gus first base coach Grayson Crawford on his way to the bag or at the bag or obviously replay following the ball, probably not following the man down the line. So that part's undetermined. 
But what was determined was that somehow this high five constituted interference and Parker was out on a fly ball that flew 400 feet-ish and barely stayed in the yard. So I don't know what Grayson Crawford did that made that a ruling. Like, it, it would have been different if Parker twisted his ankle on the way to first and Crawford had picked him up and given him a piggyback ride the rest of the way to the back and then on his way to second as well. But this was a, a high five. It doesn't seem like it fits the spirit of the rule when it comes to interference. But what do I know? I'm I mean, you see, like, if if a player in the MLB or something gets a single and jogs into first base, runs into first base, and takes his gloves off and, you know, high-fives the first base coach, like, when is the play dead or when is the ball dead? You know, when, when does that constitute – you know, does this ball have to get back to the pitcher before you can high five the base? I mean, I, I don't really understand that. I don't. Really. I don't either. The whole thing. I, I've I've heard this story now from a couple of different sources, and everybody's just kind of confused about about how this was the about how you could possibly take this interpretation away from that particular rule. But it was things happen in Murray. You know, we know that. Anyway. Hopefully the Govs can can bounce back after a, I wouldn't say a disappointing first weekend of the conference season because there were a lot of really good bright spots, but the offense very definitely has to get going as we get further into conference play. For the softball team, finally getting to play some games at home after their what seemed like three-month-long road trip or something like that. It seemed a lot we're, longer. We're just now in March. We're just now in the middle of March, so are you telling me that they uh, started playing in mid-December? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it felt Cause a lot I, cause longer. Because I would buy that. It seemed pretty cold okay. some of those places they went. Well, they finally got things going here in Clarksville in front of a refurbished Joe and Kathy Manor Stadium at Cheryl Holt Field and split with North Alabama uh, in game one, dominated by Morgan Rackle, who tossed five innings of three-hit ball and then slammed her season's fourth home run. And Bailey Shorter also went deep for the Govs in a 9-1 romp to put Austin P back over 500 on the season uh, temporarily before um, dropping game two. On the track and in the field, in the field is such a weird expression for this. Anyway, uh, they got the outdoor season underway last week at the Coastal Carolina Invitational. Nice all-around performance to open outdoor season. My Perry Grimes swept the long and triple jump after setting her personal best in the triple here at the Myrtle Beach-based event last year. Uh, this week's podcast, Nia Gibbs-Francis earned a win in the high jump. Lennox Walker won in the 100-meter hurdles. Tiana Johnson won the 200-meter dash. The Governors took the top two spots in the 4x400-meter relay. And as usual, Savannah Amato won the pole vault, so some things for business as usual, but otherwise an exceptional start down in Myrtle Beach. Pretty busy week for the tennis teams, starting with the women who remained unbeaten thanks to wins against Valdosta State and Dayton. Both of these, the Govs, did not drop a set, and they won via shutout margin um, against Valdosta State. <laughs> business as usual. <laughs> yeah. Against Valdosta State, it was a 4-0 win. Um, it was also uh, Fabian Schmidt's first singles win in uh, since her return from injury, so it's good to see her getting back on track now and looks 
to be on the road to 100% health, and uh, she slotted in at the number four single spot as the reigning OVC freshman of the year. And at the number, just an embarrassment yeah. of riches. And you have at now second team all OVC from a year ago, uh, Helena Kupik now at number five singles and is still winning matches as well. Um, Claudia Yanis Garcia uh, undefeated with a 10 and 0 record um, in singles. You have the now the number one doubles duo. Uh, that's what they played at Dayton, uh, or against Dayton here at home, of Tatiana Lopez and Hanoka Nakanishi. That was a pretty good pronunciation of that right there. Yeah, nice. Um, you were practicing that? Yeah, possibly. Um, we'll have to announce it for home tennis matches. So, so you're getting some reps yeah. in. That's good. Well, they normally played at number two doubles, but moved it to number one against Dayton and responded with a 6-0 win at number one doubles. They've now won seven doubles matches in a row and are 8-1 and one on the season in doubles. So, And you, and you also have the uh, Lydia Garcia and Tatiana Lopez, who are both 9-1 uh, and one in singles on the season. I mean, you just have every single governor in this lineup just absolutely playing just out of their minds and just make the entire all OVC team out of the Austin yeah. lineup and you know sit at 11 and 0 we can safely say that is the best starting program history I think yes um and and they've won four of their past five matches via shutout and the only one that was not a shutout was at Stetson but it was 4-3 it was which you see oh 4-3 must have been close well the guns are up 4-0 and they already clinched the match so in OVC play if that happened then they would have won those last five matches via shutout. Um, that was their seventh win via shutout this year. Um, they did not allow Dayton to even score more than three games in any sort of doubles or singles set. So an absolutely dominating performance from the women's tennis team. Uh, the men's tennis team um, also played Valdosta State on the road and took on Butler at home. Valdosta State, despite being a Division II program, they're ranked number 14 uh, in Division Two, and had played all of their matches except one up to that point against other ranked Division Two teams. So their record of I think it was one and four coming in was a little skewed. And despite a straight set win from uh, a number one singles from senior Almanta Sozetas, the Govs fell uh, on the road there. And then coming home against Butler uh, that took place yesterday, uh, Ch- Chad Woodham and Jacob Lorino won at number three doubles, and that's pretty good for the Reno. He had a doubles win and a singles win uh, in the fall at the Ohio Valley Regionals against Butler opponents. So after this doubles win, uh, he was 3-0 and against Butler opponents. He unfortunately lost a singles match, but still 3-1 and over uh, a Butler team that is now 11-4 and is, is a very good mark. Um, unfortunately for the doubles, it was split 1-1 and the Butler got a crucial break at 5-5 and number two doubles to take that, uh, to take that point. Uh, Anton Danberg and Christian Edison both lost agonizing three-set super tiebreakers, unfortunately. Both, I think, lost that third-set super tiebreak, which is only to play to 10 points. I think it was both 10 to 8. So if the Govs can maybe uh, get a couple points here and there, you're looking at a very, very close match against a pretty good Butler team who's gotten some decent results um, to start the season. On the links, both the men and the women hitting it up this week. Uh, for the men out in Boulder City, Nevada, for the Jackrabbit Invitational, junior Michael Bussey walking away with a top 10 finish, his second in three spring tournaments. Chase Cordy and Austin Lancaster finished one and two for the tournament in par three scoring. And the reason that I think that that's important is as the weather gets nicer, the ball is going to get more roll, and driving distance is going to become a much bigger factor, especially as we get closer to home and start playing um, a little bit more locally. 
being clutch with the irons is a good skill to already have in the bag, especially once we get into the super nice weather, middle of April, around OVC uh, championship time. I think that'll set those two especially up for pretty good performances at OVC uh, golf championships. For the women, the spring break shootout, and they torched all kinds of program records. Taylor Dedman's 208 was the individual school 54-hole record. She finished at five under par and took runner-up honors, becoming the first Gov with two rounds below 70 in the same tournament in program history. But she wasn't alone. This was a total team effort. The final round, 287, was the best team round in program history, and the overall 872 was the best 54-hole team mark in program history as well. So a lot to be feeling pretty positive about for the Govs after really just their first tournament atmosphere. Uh, they played that one-off against Lipscomb back in early February, and I know we've been talking about the men quite a bit over the last couple of weeks because they've really hit the ground running here to open the spring, but the women are going to pack a lot into this next six weeks before the OVC Women's Golf Championship begins, and this was a, a heck of a good start for them. Beach Volleyball got their third season in program history and their first as a member of the Atlantic Sun Conference underway with the March to May event hosted by UAB. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the Govs played some tough opponents and were able to come in with a team win, but we had some standout individual performances um, against Spring Hill, uh, Haley Turner and Jenna Panning with a straight set win at court number three, and then Sierra Coons and Brooke Moore uh, against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Wow, that is a name for a school. Um, you, you don't know? You I mean, heard of the I, ha I have, I have. I remember they made the tournament one year for basketball or something, and, and everybody was... was um, up in arms about the name being so long. I mean, I, I remember when I was... There's a Texas A&M Corpus Christi Brownsville campus, too. Can you imagine having oh to God. fit that on a form? Well, I mean, I was inputting the, the game files and how we, you know, name the games as, you know, APSU and then the team's other team's abbreviation, and I put, like, T-A-M-U-C-C. I'm like, that's certainly going to take up the entire... Yep. Um, but regardless against the... was it you said the... Islanders or the Highlanders or Islanders. I'm, Islanders. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure it's still the Islanders. Well, we had a uh, instant classic on court number four as Sierra Coons and Brooke Moore uh, went three sets and won the final set, which is played to 15 normally. Uh, they won at 19 to 17. So you can imagine the the emotion and and the overall just competitiveness of that match they won the first set 21-17 and then lost the second 18-21 so both of those first two sets were again very close and and it seemed like a a, a marathon match as and then ended up prevailing in that in that 19 to 17 overtime set all of that all those solid individual and team performances last week and the only person to walk away with a little bit of hardware from the league was Taylor Debman of the Women's Golf Program, her first career OVC golfer of the week honor, and the first by an Austin P freshman since Jessica Cathy way back in 2013. So Cathy uh, left here as arguably the best or second best player in program history. So you, you gotta you gotta have some pretty high hopes for Miss Debman as her career unfolds. We'll take a break and come back with Nia Gibbs-Francis of the Ospie Track and Field team right after this. Hotter than a fantasy, lonely like a highway. She's living in a world and it's on fire. Filled with catastrophe, 
but she knows she can fly away. A valued member not only of the Austin track and field team, but a vital component of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, Nia Gibbs Francis and her peers have led a resurgence in SAC at Austin P. That, coupled with her talents in the high jump, make her an outstanding guest to have this week. Nia, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. To start with, I want to know why the work with SAC has been so important for you during your college career. I think the work with SAC has been so important because it's really helped enhance my student athletic experience and others. We've really just taken the SAC program and revamped it to be more inclusive of all sports and just get everyone involved in what we're doing. So we're not just being athletes, we're being students too and getting involved around campus. So it's really helped with all our experiences. You guys have really laid a good foundation for SAC. Going forward, how do you see SAC evolving after you leave Austin P? I think SAC is just going to grow and grow and grow because we have laid down this foundation and we're starting to train new leaders of different teams and of like just everyone's just really getting involved. So I think it's going to just grow to be something big and hopefully we can get more student athletes involved and even get more just students on campus involved with us. Talk about life growing up in a military household. Um, growing up in a military household was always very interesting. Um, always have resilience instilled in you. You become very flexible with your schedule. And you just are taught to be strong. Really, that's growing up in the military. What kind of different places did you live in as a kid? Um, I lived in Germany, New York, Georgia. And then I lived in Fort Campbell, Kentucky for a very long time. Describe how you how life on post is when you got athletics at the center because life on post is different than life off post definitely um just like in general like how is it sports and like military life yeah how do you because because things are so much more stringent there's so much mm-hmm. less flexibility when it comes to when you can do things definitely how do you balance that when you you know you've got so many different things going on in your life anyway um i think that the military worked pretty well with our our school schedule in high school. They they actually got us a new track and we got new everything. So that was nice. And they closed down the track for us. I mean, there's certain streets you can't run on at certain times because they're having physical training, PT with the army. So that you had to be like careful of in the mornings if you're training with like cross country or anything. But it was they worked with us pretty well and they always wanted us to have the best experience as the dependents. What led to you choosing Austin P to continue your education? Um, well, I've I've always had a very close relationship with Austin P. Um, I did summer track here, so Coach Brown was actually one of the coaches, and so was Coach Molner. So I've been I've been around Austin P for a very long time, and I knew the athletics program was growing, and I could just see the culture kind of shifting. And then they have a great social work program that I, I really enjoy being part of. So it really helped with my decision to come here. How do you train for the high jump? Well, high jump is a very versatile sport and event because you're literally running forward and then jumping backwards over a bar. So um, 
I mean, you have to be kind of crazy to do it, but <laughs> um, I, we work on a lot of technical things like working on your knee drive, working on the way you run at the bar. You can't run too straight. You can't run too curved. And then when you get to the bar, your, your positioning over it is so important too. So we really break apart the jump into different pieces and just try to really hone in on all those different aspects to put the full jump together. And there's so many different moving parts. One thing can affect a massive difference in what height you're going to ultimately reach. Definitely, definitely. So you really do have to make sure all your pieces, the moving pieces are working together. You follow in your older brother's footsteps a little bit. He competed at high jump in Kentucky, didn't he? Well, he was he was a 400 runner at Kentucky. Oh, really? Yes, but I did follow in his footsteps. He really, him and my sister led me to track in high school. And so ever since then, it's kind of been like a family sport. But he he walked onto that team, and he worked really hard to do that. And just kind of seeing his determination and his drive and everything has always really motivated me. How do you balance all all of this, track and sack and everything else, with maintaining a, a 4-0? I think I just try to stay organized and balanced through everything. You can't let one part of your life overcome the others or be the most important you kind of have to give each of them as much as you can and learn how to work hard at each individual aspect so I try to be a good leader in in SAC and on the field and just everywhere but just really making sure that I stay balanced between them all how do you find time to do anything else um scheduling is very 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 important <laughs> making sure any pocket of time i have i can use to either get an extra practice in or do my homework or send emails whatever i can do in a little pocket of time i try to get it done talk a little bit about the experience you had i believe it was last year at the ncaa leadership forum that was an awesome experience and opportunity to be a part of. I got to meet different athletes from various conferences and divisions and just collaborate on them with leadership means to us, how to become better leaders and how we can take our different leadership experiences and knowledge back to our schools and really enhance the culture on our campus. We've got two more going this year from Austin P in Sean Whittinghill and Mile LaFleur. Have you talked to them any about what to expect? Yes, first of all, I'm jealous that they get to go to Florida, but I told them to just expect to um, kind of open up to, uh, virtually you're going with strangers, but you all kind of open up and share your experiences and learn more about yourself and being a leader. So I told them to just go in with an open mind and ready to learn and grow as a person. Your future lies in social work, as you've alluded to. What, what are you, what are you, what's your ultimate goal? Ultimately, I want to work with nonprofit organizations and eventually open my own nonprofit or be a consultant for different nonprofits and show them how to grow as an organization. How do you get involved with that? I've been doing different internships with nonprofits and just kind of trying to get my foot in the door that, that way. And I've also taken classes on nonprofits and I'm actually looking into getting a master's in nonprofit leadership and organization. I didn't even know that was an offer. Where would that be at? Um, they have, mostly it's in the Northeast where they have programs like that, like in DC in that area, which I really love the DC area. Wait, wait, wait. That's where the leadership forum was last year. Yes. You were just saying how jealous you were that they get to go to Florida. Yes, well, I do love D.C., but you can't beat that weather. <laughs> um, okay, so now for the stuff that you don't know about. What is your favorite word? My favorite word? Hmm. 
Relating to anything? Anything. Any word at all. Well, uh, almost any word at all. <laughs> I love the word turtles because I love turtles. Really? Yes. You have a pet turtle? I have two pet turtles. What are their names? Um, one is named Crash and one is named Kofi. I'm very proud of them. You, okay. <laughs> I was going to ask what it is they do that you're proud of, but you don't have to have it. <laughs> I'm very proud of my dogs. They don't do anything <laughs> except lay there. What is your least favorite word? My least favorite word? Right now, for some reason, I'm thinking squash. <laughs> like the sport or the vegetable? The vegetable. It just doesn't sound very appealing. Squash. <laughs> Who or what inspires you? Um, I would say people inspire me. My main goal in life is always to serve others and better others. So whatever I can do to make people better or enhance their life is what really motivates me. What's the last book you read for fun? Last book I read for fun was The Hate You Give. That was a for fun book? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Just, you know, most people are like, uh, I don't know, Curious George. It's been a while. <laughs> but that's, that's a real, what'd you get out of it? Um, it was kind of about like racial oppression. So I kind of learned more about that and kind of the perspectives of people going through different situations. What is your worst habit? My worst habit, hmm, that's a good question. I'd probably say procrastination. How How do you procrastinate? <laughs> because if you do it last minute, it only takes a minute. No, but I mean, how do you personally procrastinate when you've got all these things demanding your attention? I can't imagine you ever have time to procrastinate. I know. It's, it is surprising sometimes. I surprise myself. <laughs> What's the most terrifying situation you've ever found yourself in? Terrifying. Um, recently, I was driving back from uh, the mall, and in Op it was Opry Mills, and we added, somehow I ended up on the back roads. Instead of it being 45 minutes, it took us about two hours. And this car stopped so short in front of me, and Logan Carter was in the car with me, and we just had to, like, zip around the car, and we thought we were going to end up in a ditch, but we didn't die, so we're here. Don't tell my coach. <laughs> I'll try not to. You know this is public forum. Yeah, right? sorry, coach. <laughs> what is your idea of happiness? Um, I think my idea of happiness is just helping others and being, like, content with who you are and just feeling full and whole and, like, what you do. What's your idea of misery? Misery... It's just worrying about what everyone else is doing and never feeling accomplished in anything in life. What makes you self-conscious? What makes me self-conscious? Hmm. That's also a good question. Getting deep here. Every once in a while, I'll ask a good one. It's not <laughs> always, so what would you think about what you did today? Sometimes I get deeper. <laughs> Sometimes I get deeper. Um, self-conscious. I guess... Um, athletic wise kind of your performance like if you don't do good a week and someone's like how'd you do you're kind of like well I don't want to you don't know that I only jumped five feet or something like that like sometimes your performance kind of gets you that's fair what is the most embarrassing song that you love hmm I really like the song Friday by Rebecca Black Not Friday Friday gotta get down on Friday it's a good one I actually did know it. I just that. <laughs> How would you prefer to die? To die? Hmm. Um, 
Well, I would hope it'd be fast. Uh, probably doing something cool. Maybe like a galactic explosion or something. A galactic explosion? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Make history, if anyone's left <laughs> in the universe. If you were reincarnated, what would you like to come back as and why? Hmm. Definitely a turtle. Kind of guessed that one. <laughs> what might prompt you to lie? Um, I really don't like lying, but if I do, it's to help someone else's feelings. Like if someone on their wedding day says, do I look fat? I'm not going to tell them yes. That's your first example. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Is that like a personal experience thing where you had to do that? <laughs> no, no. Hopefully it doesn't happen anytime soon. What makes you hopeful? What makes me hopeful? Um, I think seeing people care about one another and work towards something bigger than what they are or somehow working to better society makes me hopeful for the future. What's our purpose in life? My purpose or everyone's purpose? Anybody's purpose. I feel like we all have our individual purposes, but it's all intertwined into one thing, which is kind of being humans and working together and bettering one another. We all have a purpose in someone's life or whatever it may be, and I think we all just serve different things to be just like different elements we're just all working towards. So let's round this out with track. Outdoor season just started. You're a senior. What are your goals, hopes, ambitions. What are you hoping to get out of this last outdoor season? Um, I really just want to make some noise and let people know that Austin P is is here and we're we're doing major things. We're making big changes on the track team. We're working really hard. Personally, I hope to um, score in the multi and also in high jump. I hope to PR again in high jump and PR more in like the 200 and hurdles and just get better at all our events and I know my teammates are working really hard so I just want to show that OVC what we're made of you've got more depth this year than I feel like we've had in quite a while is that an encouraging part of the season it is very very encouraging to see us becoming better in different aspects of the team and having a chance at a lot of different events well looking forward to seeing you guys as outdoor season continues especially with the the home event just about a month away now so everybody put that on your calendars and we'll watch you guys with a ton of excitement i really love it when we have our home events here uh nia gibbs francis thanks for coming thank you go Bucks. love talking to her one of the the bright and shining stars and uh, an overall great example of what it means to be a student athlete here at austin p as we look ahead to this week the end of basketball season shortens this section up slightly but not by a whole lot on the home front the governors will be hosting beach volleyball out in the sand courts in front of the dunn center beginning thursday afternoon and continuing throughout the day friday and saturday 
Thursday sees the Govs play host to Southern Miss in a doubleheader, while the weekend features the Governor's Challenge, the first of two home tournaments this season for Austin P. Uh, with the, the advent of the beach courts out front and the, the overall way that Taylor Mott runs that program, Austin P is becoming kind of a home away from home for a lot of programs that are still finding their footing, still in their infancy when it comes to beach volleyball. And to, to have that here in the state of Tennessee with so many programs in the area picking up beach volleyball is a real benefit not only to our program but to, to area programs as well. And we're happy to, to host those people and those teams as they come in. On the baseball diamond, the Govs host Tennessee Tech in the second weekend of OVC play. And Tennessee Tech, who made its way to a Super Regional last year, including defeating Texas in that Super Regional one time. I think they had won like over 20 games or something consecutively at some point last season. It was some yeah, they, really they had a uh, they had a, an incredible year yeah, last and, year. And that Super Regional is the last stop before the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. So it's going to, you know, promises to be a, a very tough opponent to begin the home portion of the OVC schedule. The Govs are looking to take a home series from the Golden Eagles for the first time since 2015. And after that, the next midweek finds the Govs in Bowling Green on Tuesday to face off against Western Kentucky. I know we sound like a broken record most weeks when we talk about softball, but they are on the road <laughs> once again. After christening the new-look Maynard Stadium, the Govs travel to Oxford, Ohio, for the Miami Invitational. This would be not the um, Hurricane Miami, but the Red Hawk Miami. And uh, not, not the Oxford, Mississippi, either. Also not the Oxford. The, uh, Miami U, Miami of Ohio, whatever you wish to call them, probably needs to try like a total – rebrand yeah. or just you know have some fun I'm, with it I'm make not, some I'm, new names i'm gonna go look up why they're called miami after this I, I knew at one point but i've forgotten didn't ben roethlisberger play there too my uh yeah ben roethlisberger yeah. played there wally zerbiak he, he was probably before your time i've heard of the name but he, like he's on cbs sports now he was a really really good basketball player back right. in the day any who's will be um where was i oh yes um the Govs will face Miami and Dayton twice to start the tournament before squaring off against Big Ten foe Michigan State on the final day of play. And this is the final in-season tournament for the Governors before OVC play begins next weekend. So one last tune-up and then into the, the march toward the OVC tournament, which starts this week for the Governors. Bit of a scattered and less busy week for each of the tennis teams. Uh, the men have added a one-off match against Martin Methodist Friday afternoon. That is their final tune-up before OVC play uh, begins in about a week and a half, give or take a couple days. The women travel to Florence, Alabama to play North Alabama Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully this time the weather cooperates and that match is able to get underway. As you remember, um, about three weeks ago, the Govs were supposed to play in North Alabama, and then both um, men and women had their match canceled and rescheduled to make the men take them on uh, March 26th. So they have a little bit longer um, before they have to travel back to uh, Florence, Alabama. But that's pretty much it. And once again, it's pretty much the final tune-up before the play um, begins in about nine or ten days. Uh, both Gov's teams will be taking on Tennessee State here at the Governor's Tennis Courts or Governor's Tennis Center, depending on the weather. Women's golf quickly back to the links. In fact, they are quickly back to Florida this week because that is the site of the Citrus Challenge hosted in Sorrento by Moorhead State because Florida is nicer than Moorhead, Kentucky this time of year. Yeah, how is uh, Moorhead State able to host a golf tournament in Florida? Same way Western Kentucky was able to host one in Florida last week. Doesn't really answer the question, but 
you don't you rely on the coaches to do a lot of the legwork and a lot of volunteers on the course to do a lot of the scoring stuff. They can just pick they can just pick whatever course and hey, we can we host it here? And Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Well, well, and a lot of these too like uh West Kentucky partnered with Florida Gulf Coast last week for that one as well. So it, it helps to have somebody kind of local to to pull this off, but it's also not a deal breaker either. Uh, the Govs competed here last year when Storms knocked out the final round. Reagan Green earned runner-up honors at the shortened event. Hopefully they'll get in the full 54 holes this time around. And community service opportunities, go see Haley Jacoby. We have our usual stops and weekly opportunities at Mana Cafe, Buddy Ball, and Burt Elementary School. So get with her um, for any opportunities that you or your team might have. And two things of note on April the 6th, uh, the big event is the yearly campus service initiative, and we've been hitting that one for a couple of weeks. So you should be, n- you should know about that. Um, when more information comes here, probably in the next week or two, um, we will talk about that in more detail as well. Also, there's a father-daughter date night at the Wilma Rudolph Event Center. Uh, they're looking for volunteers for that. No idea what they're really looking for. So y'all holler at Haley, and she'll get you squared away there. Also. Jock and Roll is March 25th at 8 p.m. in Cleveland Auditorium. That's 11 days from now. If you want to win Jock and Roll, and apparently there was some consternation last year over who the champions were. I'm not here to judge, start speculation, or anything else. But you got 11 days to get that winning formula together for Jock and Roll. What exactly is the jo- like? Oh, it's a talent show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the team's uh, – yeah, it's – We'll talk more about it off air. All right. All right. Uh, get in touch. Stay in touch via web and social media. Dylan, you're back. You can tell people where to go find us on the social medias. You, ju- you should know where <clears throat> we are located now. But uh, if, li- if you've listened to an hour of this podcast and multiple hours of many others and you can't find us by now, I don't know. We can tell you again, but I don't know how we're going to help you. Well, we're at letsgop.com, and we're at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, also at Let's Go P, and you can follow each individual sports program on Twitter at their respective handle. Um, Taylor Wiseman and Tyler Davis in video services and digital media are going to get some good content out for the spring sports seasons now, and, and, and hopefully we just keep it rolling. Let's go P.com for dates, news, and stories. Dylan, Cody Bush, Stephan L.A., and myself, we got stuff there for you to read or listen to or otherwise ingest as best you see fit. And now that basketball season is over here, especially in the Dunn Center, you need tickets for baseball now. We, we harped on you for basketball tickets. Hopefully, everybody listening to this went out and got some basketball tickets and went up to see uh, the men and women's basketball teams play here in the Dunn or in Evansville. But now there's no excuse because the weather's getting nicer and there's baseball to be played at Raymond Seahan Park. So go out and get some tickets to go watch our baseball team. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or directly on the website at letsgop.com slash podcast. Give us a rating review on the podcast. And if you'd like to suggest a guest, let us know of a local or on-campus event we should shout out. Thank Dylan for just coming back to us once again. Tweet at us. I'm at CWilson225. He's at Dylan Schwartz, and we'll talk to and or about you again next week. Goodbye.